Shut the Oven, it's Cinema Bums. I'm Wade. And I'm Emmett. Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie in popular film franchises, one each week to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today we are continuing our miniseries, Denny for Two, covering every film directed by Denny Villeneuve leading up to Dune. We will fully spoil today's film, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series. Emmett, how are you doing? I'm doing great today because I came up with a good joke that I want to lay on all of you right here at the beginning before you can stop me. Uh, <laughs> okay. Which is, what did Oristaya say to France and England when he wanted them to help him invade his stepfather's home? Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> I guess this, the war, no. I... <laughs> if you're not with us, you're a us. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Um, how are you doing, Wade? Uh, maybe a little bit worse than I was 30 seconds ago, but still good, <laughs> I would say. I'm doing particularly good because today we're honored to have a special guest. Uh, this is the intro that Emma wrote for you, Charles. I want you to know. <laughs> He's an English teacher, a director, and a Jeopardy champion, perhaps better known to our audience as being Good Crew. Please welcome <laughs> Charles Temple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you guys. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Yeah, the epithet good crew came about from years ago when Emmett was about five or six years old. And we had caught a fish. We were on his dad's boat. And the sharpest knife on the boat was approximately sharp enough to cut butter that was had been sitting out of the fridge for a few minutes and i'm trying to cut the head off this big mackerel and it's flopping around and spraying me with scales and blood and emmett saying why are you cutting him why is he bleeding why doesn't he want you to cut him and just as i'm thinking about turning on the, the knife on emmett he says he turned to his mama and said charles is good quoo <laughs> so murder flowed out of me unfortunately i i did not commit the act of family violence which would have been a nice lead-in uh for today's movie <laughs> yes. that would have been thematically relevant yeah exactly <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm really delighted to be here. <laughs> Thank you for oh, being here. We're happy to have you. How's it going? It's going well. It's going well. It's been a good summer. Um, I'm out on Ocracoke with Emmett, and uh, it's been a busy summer, and things have been cooking right along. Hell yeah. Cool. Had you ever seen this movie? We're in Sendies is what we're talking about today. Had you ever I seen it before? seen or heard of this movie um mm. i'd seen arrival i saw i told him it the other day i saw sicario but i didn't know i was supposed to be paying attention to it you know i didn't know it was i just thought it was a movie i had on mm. and i've seen blade runner 2049 okay and i saw part of prisoners uh when when you guys told me about this i, I saw that prisoners was on hulu and i started watching it and it was so bleak that I got busy with something else and turned it off, and I never went back to it. But I might go back to it now. I'm I'm sort of intrigued mm. after this film. That's what we're doing next week. Would you say it was more bleak than this one? Yeah, actually. Uh, Holy hell! Dude. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, so I don't I don't know how it ends. I know, uh -huh. but it takes place around Christmas in Central Pennsylvania, so mm. everything is grayscale. You know, everybody's dressed in sort of brown down jackets and. You know, but like I said, I, it's a it's something I'm I'm looking forward to going back to having seen this one because mm. I don't know this this movie got to me. Yeah, to me too for sure. Emma, had you seen this one before? I had not. This one's also has stuck with me though. I've like been thinking about it. 
And it's also like made me think about a lot of the other plays and movies that I know that are about like a similar subject about like tracking lost family through a war zone and like Mm. what that is kind of like. I feel like there's a lot of plays and movies in that thematic realm that have interesting similarities with this film. Yeah, I think there's a lot of thematic stuff in this where you can tell it was a play for sure. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. There's some stuff that I'll talk about a little later that I wonder if it was specifically in the play, like the stuff with the tattoo on the heel, um, mm-hmm. whether that was a cinematic addition or because I've got some thoughts about that, but we'll get to that. We'll talk a little bit uh, about how the adaptation happened later, but I know that none of the dialogue from the play is in the movie. That's interesting. It's all of the dialogue is original, but I think I read that the structure of the play is the same as the movie. It's like that classic well-made play thing of like, there's a premise and there's three letters. And Mm. once you deliver the first two letters, you get to read the third and it's going to explain everything. And it's like kind of a promise. It's interesting that this is a movie about promises and about keeping promises. And Mm -hmm. it's, I think the first movie that Denny makes where he keeps his promise as a storyteller Mm. to like, Mm. I'm going to tell you everything. By the end of this movie, you will understand everything that went on and why it all fit together and why it was all important. And he delivers on that promise with the final letters. I mean, how you feel about that ending is one thing, but I feel like it really ties up all of the knots that it says it's going to at the beginning. Yeah, I think that's fair. If it was you, if it was either of you guys, would you just open the letter? Just when you were on your own, would you have done it? Steamed it open and taken a look. You mean the one that you're given to deliver? Yeah, the one you have to deliver. I mean, you know, it kind of depends on what you go through. I mean, the the brother went through so much less in his quest than the sister did, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't want to watch this movie again, but I kind of want to watch this movie again because there's some stuff I want to untangle about timeline and and whatnot that was Mm -hmm. not immediately apparent and uh, you know i think this movie would bear rewatching. although tumblr of very good gin would probably help yeah whether you could bear <laughs> rewatching it is another matter right like, yeah the movie yeah. could bear rewatching. but man it is true that there is like stuff in this movie that when you're watching it the first time you think it's like the most horrible thing you could see <laughs> but like re-watching it and knowing really what's going on makes it even worse yeah than the first time there were a couple of instances of that where he's given you enough insight into what's going on. Like when they're talking to the nurse who's in the hospital bed and you're like, one of you is very mm. confused. And the dramatic irony there, I thought, was really, really effective. And, and that's something that I feel like is like a play like we were talking about. Like that feels very heightened. That heightened dramatic irony feels like mm-hmm. something that you see on stage a lot. And I love it when it happens in movies, but I feel like movies are less like artful in that way sometimes yeah right before we dive into it let me say at the top that bumtober is coming uh where you'll be able to pick to vote on a series that we will have to cover so send your series suggestions you want to be included uh you can email us cinemabumspod at gmail.com or you can dm us on instagram at cinemabums charles is there any series you'd like to see us cover in the future I mean, I was curious because I introduced Emmett among other series. I'd forgotten that I introduced Emmett to X-Men. X-Men was sort of my Mm. falling out of love with superhero movies. Ours too. (laughs) Uh, Right. (laughs) (laughs) And that was a break that has only recently sort of shaken itself free. But uh, Mm. um, I would be interested to see you guys cover some Star Wars stuff. I Uh I mean – 
I know it's been done and I know it's the sort of Ur series for a lot of people. And it's, uh-huh. it's sort of part of my foundational mythology as a person. I, I think I should mention the extent to which I am the oldest guest you have had on. I think if you took the age of any two previous <laughs> guests and added them and occasionally multiplied them, you would get close to my age. So, but I would love to hear what your what y'all's take on on the Star Wars series was, and I would love to make you watch the prequels um, <laughs> one at a time and talk about it. I, th- I think that would be fun to enforce on you. The biggest problem, and the reason why we have not figured out how or when or where we're going to do Star Wars yet, and correct me if I'm wrong, Wade, but like one of the biggest problems here is that we can't figure out what order we'd watch them in. Right. Um, whether we'd watch them in chronological or release order. And then if we do that, I mean, we commit to watching all of them. So that means like all the extra ones too, like Solo and... Well, yes, but does it mean like the Ewok movie? I think it means the Ewok movie. The Clone Wars. I think it means the Clone War movies. So I should let you guys know, I do have a CD copy of the Christmas special, the repudiated (laughs) and unwatchable Christmas special. And we'd have to watch that too. (laughs) Only use it if I can be your special guest on that particular one. Okay, sold. We would only watch it if you were our special okay, guest. Okay, fair <laughs> Do enough. not watch it yeah. otherwise. We would not watch it unless you also had to go through that misery with us. We put it on one year. Chrissy got it for me. Uh, my fiance got it for me for Christmas one year. And we put it on with family around. And within 15 minutes, everybody had just left the room. It clears go, the room. To go change the oil or do some laundry or get your taxes squared away for the upcoming tax season. <laughs> it was... It was brutal. <laughs> it is that kind of movie. It's a movie that is so bad you can't even just have it on. No, it sucks good good art off the wall. <laughs> it's worse than if you just put on a, a station of just commercials. Or like Guiding Light reruns from 1992. <laughs> <laughs> I am pretty intimidated by Star Wars. I just feel like it is I mean you kind of mentioned this Charles Star Wars is like everything to everyone so I feel like it's so hard to get on here and talk about how we feel about Star Wars when everyone listening feels like some other very specific way about it <laughs> That's fair that's fair although you guys got into that some with Twilight mm. True That is true Not so much with Denny I think people kind of feel the same way about Denny's movies <laughs> Oh Oh, wow. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. I will say that I'm becoming a true Denny fan, though. Like, over the course of, even though all of these have been hard to watch, like, we're coming up on the ones that I do like, and I've been tracking this, and it is like, the development is intense. His voice has always been there. It's, he's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to going back, having listened to your podcast on his previous stuff. I hadn't seen any of his previous stuff, which makes me exactly like 99.5% of Americans. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to going back and tracking those down one way or another. This is the one that sort of got me really back into him, because I feel like I was fading out a little with the last two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I do think he really delivered in this one. Uh, so this one we're talking about today, we're talking about Incendies which is the French word for fires, was not retranslated here in America. Apparently in other countries, the, it was it was retitled The Woman Who Sings. Oh, that's okay. They kept the, the French name for this. I read, Wade, in the English language adaptation of the play that this was based on, mm-hmm. um, the title is changed to Scorched. 
Okay. I mean, Scorched is better than Fires, but yeah. I think Incendies works. I think Incendies works perfectly, I, but I also like Woman Who Sings pretty well. Yeah. Um, this is the fourth film directed by Denny Villeneuve. It is based on the 2003 play Incendies by the Lebanese-Canadian playwright Wajdi Muawad. The script was written for the movie was written by Denny and Valerie Bougrand Champagne. Um, so no credit for the playwright. Like we said, this was, this was a totally, all the dialogue is totally original. It runs two hours and 10 minutes, which is an hour and 12 minutes longer than his previous longest film. (laughs) This is basically two of his previous movies put together. And it was released on September 17th, 2010. A year and a half after his last movie, Polytechnic, he shot them pretty close back to back, and he calls the two of these movies his twins. Mm. And just a couple of things I want to note here. A couple of firsts here. This was his first film to come to America, to play in American theaters. It was released by Sony Picture Classics in 2010. It's his first film to be a commercial success, and his first film to be nominated for the best foreign language film at the Oscars. And I guess his only film, because all of his after this are in English. So this would be his his last foreign language film. Um, And it did win Best Motion Picture at the Canadian Screen Awards. Making him four for four. Wow. Yeah. That's that's crazy. Step it up, English-speaking Canada. (laughs) Yeah, for real. (laughs) Okay, now is the time for the summary. I just want to say... If you have been listening to this podcast so far, and this movie sounds kind of interesting to you, know how hard it is to watch, but maybe go and watch it before the rest of the podcast, because I do think that it really helps to see this one knowing nothing about it. I 100% agree. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If you have any desire to see this film, you should watch it first before we get any further into what the mechanics of the plot are. And I, w- I will say I was gripped by the film. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. it was hard to watch, but at no time was I, you know, I, I told you I sort of walked away from prisoners. But yeah, I had I never had an impulse to do that. I, I found this yeah. film completely engrossing and absolutely worth the time. So that being said, like for those who are maybe going to pause this now, and this is a movie about some kids whose mother dies and leaves them instructions to uncover her past before they can have a proper funeral for her, essentially. That's the very brief overview. Okay, turn turn this podcast off and go watch the movie. <laughs> now for people who have watched the movie, wasn't wasn't woof right wow <laughs> welcome back we're sending you a hug we're, okay we're sending be... you a hug like it's gonna be we're sorry it's, it's gonna be all right it's gonna be there but all right so the overview of this movie is first begins with this crazy long sequence of just these boys in a prison somewhere getting their heads shaved like looking like they're being turned into child child soldiers or something mm-hmm. and we see one with this tattoo of three dots on his ankle and the camera like gets really intense on his face and you just have that long look in the kid's eyes as he's getting his head shaved, which is how the whole thing opens. So you're like, oh, God, this is going to be this is going to be rough. It lets you know up front. And then cut to mm-hmm. some unspecified amount of time later. We're in a notary's office in Canada. These two children have just found out or their mother has just died and they're getting they're the probably will like. Read. What would you say, like 19, early 20s? I would say they're early 20s. I, I'd say they're early 22, mm. 23. And it's strange because she seems a lot older than he does. 
But they're twins. They're twins. We know that they're definitely twins. So it's hard to parse because he seems like he could definitely be 19 and she seems like she could be maybe like late 20s. Mm-hmm. But we, I think we have to take the right. average of that. The brother is played by the actor who played the killer in Polytechnic. Okay, I oh, thought really? so, but mm-hmm. I wasn't for sure. For sure. Okay, that's interesting. Anyway, they read the will. Um, The notary says basically... Your mother doesn't want to be buried or have any sort of funeral, any prayer said for her or any headstone with her name on it until you can do these things that she's asked for in her will. And the two things that she asked for, she tells the daughter that their father is still alive and that they can find him and give him this letter. And she gives her a letter. And then the notary turns to the son and says, and your brother is still alive. Find him and give him this letter. And once you've done that, there's a third letter for you, for the two of you to read um, that will explain everything. And the part that really stuck out to me is this. Is she says, childhood is a knife stuck in the throat. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. And she says something like, no rest for promise breakers. And you're like, wow. So we've got a lot to unpack here. Well, And, and she asked to be buried naked face down yeah. with no right. coffin. Like just basically drop her in on her face and cover her up. And it's not until they've done this that what they can put a stone with her name in the sun. It was a it was yeah. a striking phrase, um, and I don't I didn't jot it down. And it comes up later in the movie, and I didn't jot it down there either. But there is this thing with sunlight too. There's like this whole thing going on where uh, oftentimes the back of the frame is lit, is like brightly lit, but the people in the foreground are in shadow, mm-hmm. and like the focus of the scene is on the foreground like on what's happening in the foreground, but the people are like obstructed, like you can't see their face and they're in shadow, but there's light behind them. So it's Mm -hmm. like this whole movie is about like striving towards the light of truth, basically. Like all these characters are faced away from the truth of what's going on and they need to face that light. Pretty, just like pretty heavy, heavy visual symbolism to be getting into with all that. One thing you skipped, which is later sort of relevant, is we have the long uh-huh. opening scene, which is like the the zoom in on the child soldier. Then uh-huh. the next scene is this long shot of the notary, the Canadian notary, who is like becomes an important character, who's this yeah. sort of big genial guy. But it's a shot of him in the basement, sort of by a file, and he's like holding himself up against the wall and like breathing heavily and like. going through something it's like a long shot in on him and then we cut to the first scene oh i'd forgotten about that yeah this is not going to be an easy movie to summarize strap in guys uh because it's (laughs) there's going to be a little bit of oh wait but 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 what what we forgot to tell you yeah exactly (laughs) so so then and i'm going to try and i'm going to try and do this right but basically there's several different parts set apart by title cards like acts of the movie but i would say there's like seven or eight of them so i'm not even gonna try and keep all of that i wrote them all down it's more like 10 or 12 (laughs) it's a good font too but yeah we don't have to talk about all we don't have to talk about all those or get into all of that but slowly what happens is first the daughter goes to where their mother is from so their mother was an immigrant from some middle eastern country we never that's never nailed down in the movie although it's suggested by a lot of the details that it's lebanon due to stuff that was going on with the lebanese civil war during the same time period that this movie takes place in and this story the play is somewhat based off of a real lebanese woman's uh life and some some things that she did during the civil war there 
so the daughter goes to Lebanon to try and track down where her mother was from, find out where their father could possibly be, where their brother might possibly be. Because her twin brother wants nothing to do with any of it. He is like out on the whole thing. He's mm-hmm. pissed. He obviously has some issues with their, their mom that they, they like never resolved. So the sister goes on this long journey. She slowly uncovers their mother's past. And in between this, we, the audience, get cut ends of the mother's past. And we learn things often like a little bit before the daughter does so that we have the dramatic irony of getting to watch her uncover the things that we've seen. Or we'll see details and not put it together until she puts it together in interesting ways. Okay, so we cut in with... Um, their mom early on, and we see her in love with the son of a refugee, probably a Palestinian refugee from the South. He is shot by her brothers and just like this really brutal scene where her brothers kill her lover and then are about to kill her until her grandmom comes and saves her. And then her grandmother is beating her and saying, what should I do? Should I kill you? And like, you've brought dishonor on the family. And she says that she's pregnant and now she's going to have a kid by this guy they her brothers have just killed. And so we see her give birth to this child. We see this child tattooed with the three dots that we saw at the very beginning of the movie. By the grandmother. By the grandmother. And then we see the baby is shown to the mom so that she'll he'll remember her face and then is like spirited away in the middle of the night to an orphanage so that it won't be a, like a shame on the family as much. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I feel like both of you maybe know more about the actual real world events of this. Uh-huh. But in the movie, they don't talk about actual countries at all uh-huh. because it's like a it's like a fictional approximation of what's really happening. Yes. So it's mostly through the frame of like a civil war between a Muslim culture and a Christian culture. Yeah, that's what makes it Lebanon. Uh, Lebanon has yeah. a Muslim Arabic population, a Christian co- population. I can't remember if it's Coptic Christian. I can't remember, but it, a Christian population. Eastern Orthodox. And a Jewish mm. population. And their constitution after the Civil War now calls for the presidency, the prime ministership, and some other major thing to be shared among those three groups. Been going better than it hmm. was. The Lebanese Civil War was, like all civil wars, just really brutal and nasty. And and, and lasted for 15 years, too. Wow. And it's, it's kind of complicated because in this movie, she and her family are Christians from the mountain region. Mm-hmm. And the man who's shot is probably a Palestinian, is probably a Palestinian Muslim or maybe an Arab Christian from Palestine. But there's tension there because he's from Palestine. And then there's also, there's Palestinian liberation people coming in from the underneath, from the south. And then there's Christians coming down and attacking them who are part of the official government. But then there is also this other like right wing Christian party that gets involved. And so it's like all of these different militias who all have different things that they're supporting. And it basically like broke down into multiple different city states all fighting each other, all with their own like kind of mafia like like pseudo militia army, but also just like organized crime, basically. Which is kind of what you see is like how at the beginning she has like some sort of political ideology. They're like student protesters and stuff like that. But by the end of it, she's fought on both sides, fought on both sides of the Civil War. And Mm -hmm. her kids, like her child has also fought on both sides of the Civil War. So it just, I guess, like messy and horrible. Yeah, messy and horrible. 
Um, although it is not really a war movie. I mean, the like her involvement in the war itself is contained to a couple of fairly brief little stints. Uh, you know, she's a member of a sort of a peace party yeah. that's trying to transcend the religious and you know and sectarian divides. And then that breaks down. And then later, uh, you'll get to it, she takes an active part in the war. But it's not really about the war. It's about what the war does to her. After giving up her baby... She moves to the city to be with her more like like metropolitan liberal minded relatives there um, who are part of like, as you said, the peace party. And they're part of a, like a newspaper that's trying to print like anti-war stuff, trying to bring peace between the, the Christian government and the Muslim government or the Muslim factions. And then the city is is being evacuated. They're all going to go up into the mountains. She doesn't want to go back there probably a lot because of her fam like you know, stuff with her family still, but also because she's still looking for her son. And she's, it's four years later, I think. And she's like, I'm going to go down and find him in the South where I know he is. And she, she heads down that way. When she gets there, the whole town has been raised and it's been like, people have been killed. The children have been taken. She has no idea where anything, where anybody is. So she's searching and searching she sees people coming from the South and she's like, Oh, well, these are Muslims. So then she asks that she's a Christian. She's like, I'm going to, but I'm going to like cover my head with a scarf and pretend to be Muslim with them. And she gets on the bus and then the bus gets attacked by Christian terrorists and they kill everyone on the bus except her because at the last minute she says, I'm a Christian. She holds up her cross and then they like burn the whole bus and leave her and kill a little girl and kill a little girl that she tries to save that she says this girl is my daughter and there's like also this movie does this a lot where it teases the kids it's like is this really going to turn out to be have been one of them is this going to turn out to have, like their mom is not really their mom like she really saved them from some terrible situation and then like it's not that because those kids get killed in horrible ways the binding to all of the stuff in the past is that we know that there's a brother and we know that there's a dad. Right. We don't know who those people are. Right. And we see a man who is the father of her first child get killed. Right. And that the brother is the kid with the dots on his heel that he survived at least through infancy. Cause we, when we see him, he's about six or seven, maybe. Yeah. When you see him getting captured, it's about six or seven. And you put together, by the time you see her in the village, you put together that those people kidnapped him and took him wherever that was. So then she's trying to track those people down. My understanding of this, she's trying to find the son. She like goes on a yeah. mission at some point where she's like, all I want to do is find the son, which eventually leads her back to like the charred remains of where he was being kept. Right. But then she gets picked up by the Christian terrorists. And then she's working for the leader of the right-wing Christian group. And at a certain point, she tries to kill him. And at that point, it does not appear to me that it is like a politically motivated action or that she's doing it for any idealistic purpose or for any other party or group. She's doing it for herself because of what this guy did to, to her and her family. To the orphanage where her son was. And like yeah. into the town, exactly. But she is doing it in affiliation with someone else, which kind of took me by surprise the first time because she gets oh, a call she? that is like tomorrow at 10 a.m. Oh. And she's like, okay, today's the day, tomorrow at 10 a.m. Really? I'd miss that. So all of this is interspersed in flashback, right? So the way Emmett's telling it, it's not remotely this linear in the film. It's not super jangly or disorienting the way the story is told. 
this is the backstory that gets filled in throughout. Right. Because at the same time, we're watching the daughter uncover all of this through a long series of going around the different places, getting jerked around by different people, having to investigate places and like people telling her, you don't know who your mother is. You're not welcome here if you're really her daughter, you know, and like Mm -hmm. her mother has this name here as the woman who sings. And we slowly get to understand that's because after she tried to assassinate or she did assassinate the Christian leader, it's unclear in the movie whether she's successful. In the true story, the woman was unsuccessful. Um, She did attempt to assassinate the leader and he was in the hospital for like eight days with or eight weeks rather with serious injuries. But he did eventually survive and she was kept in prison for several years, eventually released in 2000 and has since written, I think, a couple books about it. I think she is successful in the movie. In the movie, she actually does manage to kill him. Yeah, yeah. I think someone says like she killed him in yeah. the present when they're explaining. So everybody is like, you know, so she's infamous there. And of course, she brought like a curse on her whole, you know, everybody associated with her was in a lot of danger after she did that. She was held in prison for 15 years. And what the daughter discovers is that while she was in prison there, there was a torturer who was brought in to rape her and that she eventually was impregnated by that torturer and that she gave birth in the prison. Now, as we hear this, as we Mm -hmm. hear her learn this, she believes she's learning the origin story of her brother. And we as viewers are kind of thinking that too because the mom has gone to find the first child and has found has been told that everyone was killed right exactly and so we're like oh well maybe so we feel like back to square one we're back to square one that first child was dead dead and this mm-hmm. is another brother who we've had no idea about i i don't know i i i think i was pretty well home that this was where the twins came from yeah uh, okay this was this was a major twist for me well when it when they said that she was kept for 15 years and then she had kids towards the end of it i was like well then yeah they've got to be right and, and the revelation mm. that it she was kept for 15 years is actually punched up because the daughter is looking for this prison where her mother was held and she goes and visits the prison with this guy who's the janitor at the school but used to be a guard, and he takes her through and says that some people were held here for as many as 15 years. And then later, her mom says, I've been here for 15 years or something like that. Like, then you discover that she yeah. was the one who was held the longest and had it the worst. And he makes a point of saying that she never broke. They never broke her. They never got to her, that, that she took everything they yeah. had to throw at her. And that she would sing, and that that was how she proved that yeah and not well it's funny you would think the woman who sings that she would have a lovely singing yeah. voice she doesn't she sings sort of like anybody would sing sort of who isn't a good mm-hmm. singer i mean she she doesn't sing well or melodiously yeah. or beautifully i thought that was a wonderful touch <laughs> and so this old guy yeah t- tells her like the whole story of the woman who sings and she's realizes that that's you know that's her mother and then we see we see her deliver. So we cut in flashback. We go back and see her deliver. And we see her deliver twins. And then we're like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. And whether or not you have figured it out by this point, it is framed by a twist that certainly worked on me. Because yeah. she gives birth to the first child. It's a boy. You're like, okay, that's the son. And then the nurse comes back in and she's like, all right, get ready for number two. Yeah. So after the delivery of the babies, there's a man and a woman who are out back. Uh-huh. And 
she says, what are you going to do with him? He says, I'm going to do what I always do, which is put him in the river because this torturer uses rape as a major, as a major instrument of his torture. So presumably there have yeah. been, there have been other babies who have been cast off. So he's going to put them in the river and she says, no, let me take them and I'll care for them. And so she rescues these two babies because they're the children of the woman who sings. So she's taken on this sort of sacred mm. identity or something for the people in the prison. Uh, I mean, for the guards, for the people who have to deal with the prison. Yeah. And so the kids are rescued. Cut back to the 2010 plot line. The daughter does still doesn't. Daughter still thinks that that's their brother. So she's like, I found our brother, though. I know where he was born and I know where to find the nurse who delivered him. Um, She calls her brother, her twin brother and says, you got to come. You got to come and do the thing. So he finally shows up. He shows up. He shows up along with the Canadian notary. He explicitly does not want to look for his father or his brother. Yeah. And when the notary doesn't want sort to get of clues him into the fact that that's kind of who they're looking for, he's furious, right? He feels like he's being manipulated. Yes. And then he comes and he's the nurse sees them both and starts crying and is like, it's the two of you and get and tells them they're like, says their uh, names in, in Arabic. Yeah. Which are Sarwan. It's close to their names. John and French. Simone. John and Simone. And it's Sar- Sarwan for Simone and Janan, J-A-N-A-N. So then, oh God, where, where are we now? Because the game's afoot. At right, this the point. game is afoot. And so, so now the brother is sort of sucked into the quest, right? He's been resisting the quest. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. What they realize is that they can track the brother who was given up. So the mother of the two twins and, you know, the one, the one whose woman death precipitates all this. Um, when she gives up her baby to her grandmother and goes to the city, her grandmother takes it to an orphanage and he's known just by his name and, and of May. I can't, do you have his name written down? I should have taken notes, but I was enthralled by this point in the movie. My notes completely peter out about 35 minutes into the movie. Uh, Nihad. Nihad of May. Uh, so there are no records or anything, but somebody says there's this Christian warlord who is the sort of man who would have a good memory. Even though it's been 20 years, he might remember and he says, well, how do we find him? And he said, you don't find him. He finds you. And they say to Simone, the brother said, now it's your turn. So yeah. he has to go track down this this yeah, Lebanese warlord. <laughs> you know, easy money. That's an easy ticket to get, right? The twin brother has sort of as lovely of an arc as you can have in this movie of sort of like becoming a believer in his family and his mother and like rediscovering the past, which yeah, he has yeah. been resisting the whole movie. Over, yeah. like, the last half an hour. Yeah. And so around this time, too, we see in flashbacks the firstborn child, Nihad, their brother, as a teenager or an adult sniping a as, bunch yeah. of little children. He kills one, like, eight-year-old kid, and maybe he gets the second who peeks up from behind the car. Maybe he doesn't. But, yeah, I mean, for absolutely no reason. Like, these kids yeah. are not hurting anybody, and he just shoots them because he's got a bead on them. Yeah. And that's just a little, like, six-minute yeah. cutaway where you're like, okay, well, here's kids running through the streets. Maybe this will be nice. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Yeah, this movie really is, like, at every moment, women and children are in every type of violence imaginable. Like, physical, sexual, emotional, verbal violence 
being done upon people yeah. at every point in this movie. You know, you, Wade, your point last week about uh, maybe he's someone who is just so horrified by the violence of the world that he has to like look at it, can't look away and like has to force everybody to deal with it too. Like, I feel like I really felt mm. that this time around watching this one. Well, after we get to the end, I will say my my take, because I think there is a message that has run through all of these so far. Okay. That ties them together. Too. Interesting. Okay. So, God. All right. We're still in this. We've seen what the brother is, like, doing, kind of, in his middle years. And we know that, like, whatever these kids find out about their older brother, it's not going to be happy news. And now we have both of the numbers on the board, right? We know that the brother was a child soldier who yeah. has the tattoo, and we know that the father was the rapist who yeah. uh, tortured their mother in prison. Exactly. And so they're like, we know who we're looking. We know who we're looking for, and they're following the trail of the brother. He finally he gets to see the warlord. Well, so first he's there and he's blindfolded, and he's with all of the warlord and like a bunch of guards and a bunch of other people who are all just like there. And then when he says who he is. Right. I'm I'm the son of the woman who sings. The guy says. Like, give us the room. Tells everybody else to leave. And he, like, comes over and takes the blindfold off of him. And he, like, tells him what happened to his brother. And he says, your brother was, like, a, one of the most skilled marksmen ever for me. He was one of my sol- child soldiers. But then he was captured by the right-wing Christian forces. And he was tortured and he was brainwashed and he was like made into a marksman for them. And he became a torturer. Simone says, did did he work with my father? And he said, no, he didn't work with your father. And at this point, readers of Greek tragedy will maybe have little alarm bells going off in the backs of their heads. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Anybody, anybody who's ever read anything, anything in the history of plays is like, "Uh yeah, this to me, like it is shocking and horrible and we'll dive into it. But I saw people being like truly like affronted by this twist and i was like you guys probably do not read that many plays (laughs) yeah right this was slightly familiar to me yeah exactly i was like i don't think the fact that it's slightly familiar like lessens its impact oh no not at all and it feels honestly like almost more inevitable like as it starts Mm -hmm. to spool out you're like oh god this is what it is like I got there, I can't remember exactly when the when the penny dropped for me, but I think it might have been when you find out when you find out that she was raped over and over again in prison. I was like, hmm, well, that's one possible way for this uh-huh. to go. That's partly English teachers spoiling all the stories forever. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So Simone uh, Sauron like realizes what this means, and he has this moment where he comes back to his sister and says, "One and one makes two, right? Is there any way for one and one to make one? One and one makes two." Because there's also been a math theme. There's been a math running theme. throughout this yes, movie. I forgot to mention there's a math. It theme. didn't really run through the movie. It it got yeah. dropped in at the very beginning because she's an assistant for the teaching assistant to an eminent math professor in pure mathematics, mm-hmm. and then yeah. that goes away completely at no point during her search does her (laughs) sort of abstraction of pure mathematics play any part of her investigation and i i don't know if that's a missed opportunity but it's certainly something he could have i don't know i I, like i don't i don't have an idea that oh what if he had done this um yeah but i don't know why you make her a math professor if it's just for this line does one and one always equal one 
I would say none of the twins' uh, skills or personality really figure into the plot actions that they each undertake. Well, and that goes back to Greek tragedy. But I digress, and I've got more to say about that. And I'll let Emmett finish up uh, his heroic attempt to uh, yes, true. to uh, explain okay. this. I point. think we're an hour in at this point. <laughs> so 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 basically, he goes back. He's like, "This is what it is." So spell it out for us, Evan. Spell it out. We'll spell it out. out for us. Just spell it out for you. Their brother is their father. Um, their brother was a sniper for the Muslim people at the beginning and then was captured by the Christians, turned into a torturer and rapist for them, who was used against his own mother much later in prison while she was being held there. Unknowingly. Unknowingly. And then the two children that she has in prison are the two kids that we begin the movie with, Simone and Jean. 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 Now they have discovered this, and they even know where to find him. The twin sisters gasp when she realizes yeah is insane i mean it is it's almost like a jump scare like her reaction to finding out the truth yeah yeah it's funny i was watching them the two actors so closely when they realized that they are the twins in the scene with the nurse um Mm. like i was i was i couldn't decide which one to keep my eyes on you know i mean i was flipping back and forth to see who the penny dropped for first. And that was a very understated reaction. And then that scene in the hotel room where he, where he comes back and tells her what's going on was so much more traumatic. And I, I mean, for very yeah. real reasons. Yeah. And by that point in the movie, you, you're pretty wrung out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. This is probably like, what would you say? An hour 50 into this two ten movie yeah, when probably. we get the revelation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it is, it's paced out, but it is, it's tough. It's just, the first twist that they're the twins, I want to say, is about an hour and a half. That sounds about yeah. right. So it really is like the last 40 minutes that is sort of the the downward chase mm-hmm. to figure all of this out. Yeah. And so then they finally – they like are also able to track down where this guy has gone afterwards because the warlord has like connections still who know who where to find him. Yeah, because after the war, he was basically a war criminal and they just got him out of the country. Yeah, they got him out of the country. And it turns out he's back in Quebec, just working as a janitor somewhere. Then we get in this weird flashback. We cut back to just like a month before their mom died. They were at the swimming pool. And the swimming pool has kind of been a visual theme throughout this movie. And we have seen this incident where the mother had some sort of attack that like caused her to get her caused her caused her downward spiral mm-hmm. yeah we have seen that before although it was not at all clear what was happening the first time yeah it just it. looked like she it looks mm-hmm. like she just like went away inside for no reason while she was at the pool but we see that it's because she came up from underwater and saw at the edge of the pool the heel with the three dots in it and she looked up and saw her son and also the father of the two children that she's there with. so you've seen his you see his face in the prison and then you see his mm-hmm. face again. But that was actually a moment where I was sitting there going, asking myself, and finally asked Emmett, we were watching it. I said, that is the same guy, right? Because at that point, it felt totally inevitable that that had to be the same guy. But I didn't make the facial. No, I'm terrible with faces. I didn't either. I, I'm, I'm terrible with faces. And he had a beard, you know, sort of a, a short beard the yeah. second time. And he's older. And he's like 20 years yeah, older. Yeah, he's got yeah. hair on his head. You know, he's got a head of hair. But uh where his head was shaved at first. But 
like, like you said, I was there, but I didn't have the shock of recognition. I mean, I saw yeah. the heel, but I didn't see the guy and say, shoot, that's the same guy. Yeah. This, to me, was a bridge too far. Not that it, like, ruined anything, but this was just, like, a little too convenient for me to really buy. Mm. That he had been from the same small other part of the world, had ended up in this completely distant other part of the world, and was just at the same pool as the rest of his family. I don't know. Immigrant communities settle in the same... They end Mm -hmm. up in the same cities. They end up in the same neighborhoods, you know. Also... Mm -hmm. Denny is obsessed with chaos theory <laughs> and like <laughs> dynamic, mo- like dynamic motion of individual particles. And like this movie is kind of about like how the turbulence of war can like send individual particles on like weird journeys. But there's like a strange attractor to family that like always brings it back mm. around. Okay. Sorry. I've just been, I've been reading mm. some deep theory recently and, uh, Sure. Maybe getting a little too far out on that stuff, but I, that's what that's what I see in that. Wait, I'm I'm partly on board with you. Wait, when she sees the three dots, and you know, she just swims up to the side of the pool, and there are just these three guys standing there having a chat, and she sees the back mm. of this guy's foot. I don't know. It feels inevitable in that way, right? I mean, you know, Greek tragedy is inevitable because mm. the fates will it. It's not because anything you did wrong or any. It's just because the fates want it all to work out. So yeah. one day Oedipus wakes up and goes out front to deal with some stuff. And by the end of the day, it's all come undone. What do you make of the fact that it's his foot that is his, is his marker, just like Oedipus? Is, mm-hmm. And Achilles as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know what? I've been going on about Oedipus and I forgot that Oedipus's limp is what marks him. Stupid. Yeah. Uh, some English teacher I am. <laughs> <laughs> My assumption here, they may have been incorrect, was that she sees the foot, realizes it's her son, and then sees the face and realizes it's the rapist. Yes. And this is oh, when she, and she puts it together. she never put it together before. She'd never had that realization because oh. she'd never have seen his foot in the prison. Yeah. Yeah. So we should finish up before we start talking about the theme mm-hmm. stuff because yeah. – but wait, there's more. Um. <laughs> uh, okay. But wait, there's more. They So they do it. They get back. They go and they deliver the brother and sister. Dude. The two letters. They find this guy, the brother and sister. They go and they find this guy. They deliver the two letters to him, and then they just like leave. They just give them to him and go. They're like, "Hello, we know you. You don't know us. Here are these letters," and then they're gone. This is this is really hard. Like the letters are really tough. I mean, all this movie is tough, but the letter, like this conclusion, is like it's shattering. It's yeah. It's crushing. It's uh, yeah. So the first letter is to the father. It's to the rapist. It's to the torturer. It's like, you know, this brutal letter about like what, like, this is what you did. Yeah. You know, a condemnation, a condemnation. Mm -hmm. And then the second letter is a forgiveness to the son, to the son. And it, I mean, it is, it says all I did my whole life was love you and look for you. And I love you always. And, I'll love you forever and you will always be beautiful. And you know, yeah, yeah, that's. And in the first letter, she says, you'll read this and stand silent because in front of the truth, no, no one can say anything. I mean, basically she strips him Mm -hmm. of all of his power and then (sighs) redeems him in the second. I'm, I got goosebumps talking about this. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the third letter is for the twins. And so you see the twins reading the third letter and the third letter is basically like, where does the story of your life begin? Which I also think is really interesting because later on he will adapt a book called Story of Your Life. 
for arrival. Hmm. It talks about hmm. where does the story of your life begin? Um, if it begins with your birth, it's an, a horror story. You know, if it begins with your father's birth, it's a great love story. But because of that love, you were born of love too, basically. And he says, nothing is as important as being together. And it's like this, I don't know, redemptive thing about family. And the last shot is is the older brother alone looking at the gravestone in the sunlight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. This has been Cinema Bombs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cinema bombed out, <laughs> man. <back> next week. <laughs> A couple of classic quest things. I mean, yeah. just like D&D quest things yeah. that I really like about this ending is that it the quest ends where it begins. Mm. That mm-hmm. they have sort of gone to the other side of this world yeah. on this gigantic yeah. quest to find something and it was back home the whole time. Yeah. I love that. You also find out that the notary is the one who wrote the letters, sort of transcribed them for the mother. Oh, so yeah. you find that the notary has known the whole time. I didn't pick up on that. Yeah. Because it cuts to her after the incident sort of whispering in his ear. Oh, yeah, and he I... has to write them. And you see his face. So he, as the sage, as the guide, has known has known it all the whole time and is just like allowing them to go on their journey. And he refuses several times to let... That's why he refuses, because he knows they need to go on the journey. Uh, Simon tries to refuse and he won't let him. And they talk mm-hmm. about opening the letters and he said, no, that would be like a rape, mm-hmm. which does not go over well with Simon. Simon has maybe the only joke in the movie and certainly one of the darkest jokes of all time, yeah. which is that no. which is he says, it runs in the family, I guess. Yeah. And it's maybe the only joke in the film. There are a couple math jokes at the beginning. Are there? There's at least some funny stuff with the teacher and he's like, God exists because of this math problem. And then like oh, right. the secretary at the math place doesn't want to talk to her. Right. There's like one two minute section of humor right. at the beginning. Right. That's Euler's <laughs> thing that it's a whole hard nerd situation. <laughs> e to the I pi minus one equals zero. It's a it's a hard nerd joke. Yeah, so it, it's funny. I mean as soon as as soon as he said, Here are these letters that you have to go deliver, I was like, Ooh, a quest story. That's what this is. And then later I was like, yeah. No, it's a Greek tragedy because I mean Oedipus Rex is written all over this play. Or all over this yeah. movie. I, if you don't know Oedipus Rex, I'm going to do this very quickly. It's the story of this Greek king who is told that he has to find the murderer of the last king. And it turns out that he is the murderer. And the last king was, in fact, his own father. Because Oedipus, had, when he was born, unbeknownst to Oedipus himself, he is not his parents' son. The people he thinks of as his parents. He got a prophecy that said he would kill his father and marry his mother. On hearing that, he left home and never returned and went to a totally different city and killed a man on the road who shoved him aside in a random act of violence and returned to this city of Thebes and banished the Sphinx and was rewarded with the hand of the recently widowed queen and becomes the king. So he's married to his mother, having killed his father. Right. I mean, that's this story almost right mm-hmm. uh, also the the twins be about to be put in the river like all the others I, that could be romulus and remus mm-hmm. you know the achilles heel and oedipus's heel and Emmett, you were mentioning the light and dark like moving towards the light the characters in darkness moving towards this light reminds me a little bit of orpheus and, it will, and it, you you know mm-hmm. what it else is is the oristia 
I mean, I joked about it earlier, but they are like Orestes and which is the, the uh, Electra or no? Electra, Electra, yes. They are like the two of them moving away from violence, like breaking the cycle of violence mm-hmm. and heading into like the light of day, which is like p- some people consider the Oresteia to be like talking about the progression out of barbarism into democracy, like in okay. the ancient world. And like, it could be partially about that as well. Like the two of them as the children of violence who are able to like break the cycle of violence. It's, it is interesting because you think of like Greek tragedy and, and actually the Oedipus cycle has a sort of upward movement too. Oedipus dies mm-hmm. at Colonus, but there's been another prophecy that makes him much sought after because wherever his grave lies, I think will be a blessed place. And so mm-hmm. he does achieve some redemption over the cycle. It, you know, it's sort of like reading Dante's Inferno and you're like, well, that was bleak. And it's like, yeah, it's just part one, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you got to read all three parts for it to make for it to make sense. Yeah. I, I started off thinking, oh, well, this will be a fun quest story. But then <laughs> as you start to think, oh, is that Oedipus I hear chuckling in the background? <laughs> that feels like so much more of a linear story to me as opposed to a, a psych, you know, sort of a quest cycle that brings you back to where you began. Mm hmm. Although you're right. I mean, they do end up back home with new knowledge that redeems their fallen world. You know, it's it's it it ticks the boxes. And for me, at least, we mostly focused on the flashback stuff here in the recap. Mm. For me, at least, if it if the movie was just the flashbacks. Right. I don't think I would have liked it. I'm not sure if I would have been able like to stomach it. Yeah, it is really that it grounds it in at least what was very relatable to me of this like very modern, modern people in the Western world sort of rediscovering the roots of their family and like going on this quest through like stranger in a strange land. To that point, you know what I thought was really cool in all of that is when we're in the past in flashbacks, everybody is speaking, I think, mostly Arabic and mm-hmm. it is subtitled in English because the, the whole movie is subtitled. And when we're in the present day version, the 2009 version, and most people are speaking in French, mm-hmm. when people speak in Arabic during those parts, it's, it's not, not subtitled. subtitled. Yeah. Because you are you are left in the position of the French speaking characters only in in that time and are like left out of the conversation because that's like what they're going through. Like in that scene where it's all the ladies and her in that room and they're all talking about her, but it's only being translated mm-hmm. to her by the one lady who can speak French. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just thought that was a really interesting touch. Most of his audience is not going to speak fluent French and Arabic. Right. So mm-hmm. part of his audience is going to be reading a big chunk of this movie. Um, so a part of his audience is going to be have this sort of foreknowledge of even if only by a few seconds of what's coming, which is just something mm-hmm. that happens to me every time I watch a subtitled movie. You know, there's this disconnection. It, it's not the same as getting totally immersed in, you know, you sort of lean forward and fall into the screen. Thankfully, in this, there aren't a lot of jokes whose punchlines get ruined by the <laughs> subtitles coming up before they speak. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, that's one of the bright spots. I, I really thought, man, thank God there weren't more jokes that got ruined. <laughs> God, uh, I, and I feel like, you know, we've been talking about this like such a downer, but this was such a powerful movie. It was so strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was so good. 
I thought it was really remarkable the way the mother became so much more human to the viewer as you start to understand her story. Because at the beginning, you only know that her children are really angry and really sad. I mean, obviously sad that they've lost her, but her son is really angry at her. And her boss says, I mean, the notary was her boss for 18 years. He says, I consider you family. It's quite clear that they don't consider him family. Yeah. (laughs) But as the stories come closer together, he really does become family to them. Like he really is a protecting figure and sort of a father figure for them. I also really like the other notary they bring in. Yeah. Yeah. I love him. The the Lebanese notary is really cool. Yeah. And like the two of them talking about how if if it notaries had existed back in biblical times, (laughs) like the Middle East wouldn't be so messed up. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good joke. That is. That is a good joke. Do you feel like Denny had has a buddy who's a notary and he like lost a bet (laughs) and he was like, you have to make like the hero of your next movie a notary, like, like not the hero, but you know, some character, like you got to put a notary in in your movie. (laughs) Maybe. But he is kind of a hero. Like there are as close to action scenes as you can get that involve like reading documents and opening letters, (laughs) being there when you can be, you know? In this movie, um, being a notary is a very noble profession. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So go get your license, kids. It does. It's not that difficult. You just got to take a little class and pass the test, and you too can get your little <laughs> stamp. Incredible. Okay, well let's let's put it on record here at the <laughs> the end of the episode. Uh, Charles Flopper Bob. <laughs> oh man, this was a bop. It was hard to watch. I mean, it was mm-hmm. it was difficult, but this is a bop all the way. Emmett Flopper Bob. Bop. I would. I'd have to agree. Yeah, I would definitely watch it again. I won't watch it again soon, mm. but I will recommend it to people. And I, yeah, I think it's, I think it's really quality stuff. How about you, Wade? Flop or Bob? Yeah, Bob for me too. This to me is, yeah. Uh, so August 32nd is kind of its own thing. That's a pretty light one. But I would say uh, of the three Denny movies that are all like dark and brutal, like this mm-hmm. one is, this is the first one to me that is worth the price it takes to watch it like this is the first one that is worth the journey it asks you to go on okay and like gives you something equal in return and it is hard i also think it is by far the most dark of the three like i think Mm. this is even much more dark than the school shooting movie i think that this one like gives you something in return in a way that Mm. makes it worth it and I'm with you, Emmett. I I would like to watch this again, not soon. Yeah, if this yeah. makes its way onto onto Amazon, and I mean, this is even a film. I I, I teach a film class sometimes, and this is a mm-hmm. film. This is a movie I would think about showing to a class to yeah. sort of consider mm-hmm. as yeah. a, as a real. I mean, th- this feels like a masterwork. Yeah. I mean, if you ask me, I mean, Arrival is cool and all, and there there's a lot of cool visual stuff, and he's you know he's got the the whole slew of resources available to help you know do the cool visual stuff but as far as just a piece of filmmaking i i i think i would rank this above arrival and i'm getting i'm getting ahead of or ahead of your your schedule here but i i think i this is a finer piece of filmmaking than arrival in my opinion Hmm. yeah i thought it was remarkable yeah this to me uh, along those lines feels very much like a mission statement almost for Denny, Mm. like about sort of the things about violence and family that he's been examining Mm. throughout his career. And 
looking forward, I don't know, like, like he convinced me in this movie. And I sort of don't want to see him hammer at this point anymore. (laughs) I don't know if he's going to, but I don't necessarily want to see any more movies that are about like this after seeing this one, Mm. because this one, I think says maybe not everything there is to say, but like everything that needs to be said is said perfectly. here. Mm. I think there is a theme that connects this and polytechnic, which um, I wonder is part of the reason why he calls them his twins is that they're both sort of about men doing horrible things to women because I think they see them as less than human. Like, I think the son in this movie, I I think we understand he's the type of person who would never do that if he knew that was his mom, right? Mm-hmm. Like, would probably rather be shot and killed for disloyalty than do that to his own mother. But because he sees her as the enemy, as like less than human he's willing to do that. And the same with the killer in Polytechnic who sees feminists as, as less than human. It's, it's interesting. He's such this, the oldest son is such a cipher in Cindy's. I mean, we, the only things we know about him are what he does, right? We never, mm. what we, at the very end when he gets the letters, we, we get to see a little bit of a reaction from him and we see him standing at the grave, but we never see, I don't want to hammer at the Greek thing, but he is almost an instrument of fate. Like he, you know, he's a tool that gets used the just the way war screws over this entire community, you know, this national community and this family. And it's so striking when you do see him at the end, because in the modern day, he just looks like a dude who you would hang out at the pool with. Yeah. Right. Or a dude who you talk to at a bar, like not. And then you think about everything he's been through and everything he's done and, Mm-hmm. How he's still there, just looking like anyone else in modern society at the end of the movie is. And I'm sure there are so many real people like that, you know? Yeah. I think it is a hopeful ending. Yeah. I do too. I think it is for the twins and for the son. I... And for the mother. And I think that's another thing that connects all four of these movies, weirdly, is like a brutally persistent existentialism of like as long as you're alive there's still hope mm-hmm. like as long as, and like and i think that's what it is like for all of the characters in all of these movies like the girl in august 32nd it's a it's a light take on that for the young woman in maelstrom it's a lot heavier but still like goes into some weird and kooky places but like i think that's what it is about the two uh, the two paths that the characters take in Polytechnic, one to suicide and the other to like having the life that she wanted and the being able to have children and like say what she says at the end of that movie, even as trite as it might sound when she says it. But like he's he's ex- it seems like he's expressing that thing of like you can like any person can pull through, but it's like a choice. But I've been I've been like that's what I've been reading into a lot of those things. Like I think that quote from Maelstrom of like all human actions are manifestations against death. I think like that is something that he is like still deeply interested in throughout all four of those movies. Hmm. Hmm. Did either of you have any cultural context in regards to the actual Lebanon civil war? So I was a kid during this Lebanese civil war. And the thing that we knew was that the barracks in Beirut got blown up by a suicide bomber. Um, And if you go Hmm. through, if you drive through Jacksonville, North Carolina, you'll see a memorial to the Marines who were killed there. 
I think it was 93 oh, wow. Marines were killed. Uh, it was a Marine barracks that got blown up. So that yeah. was the big deal. I mean, you know, Americans care about wars when Americans get killed for the most part. Mm. And that was certainly true in the early 80s. Popped up and you'd see it on the nightly news sometimes. You know, you'd see scenes from Beirut. It, it didn't have a major part of the zeitgeist except for the, the bombing of the barracks, which never even gets mentioned in this movie, right? This is such a personal take. I have been to Israel. Mm. And up into northern Israel, which is, you know, I was probably 40 miles from the border between Israel and Lebanon. And uh, it looks like it was shot there. Although, Emmett, you said he shot, they shot some stuff in Jordan and they shot it fast. Yeah, all of the Middle East stuff was in Jordan. I thought the way he used the landscape and the scenery as a kind of character in that, I mean, if you'll forgive the cliche, as a kind of character in those in those flashback scenes and in the parts where Jean is is looking for her mom and and Emmett, as you pointed out, you revisit the same spaces a couple of places. You see what time does to a place and like both like how some places have deteriorated and how other places have like popped up and have new life. Mm -hmm. Uh, like as a big city like a happening city as opposed to like a torn out war zone but other places are just like completely abandoned yeah i think it's interesting to see a movie about a civil war where it doesn't really take sides on Mm. who was right and who was wrong it's just brutal violence done by both sides Mm -hmm. characters that we care about fight on both sides and neither really seem to have strong moral convictions about whether they should or should not have done it everybody's just like we were there we did that 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 is what happened it's obviously i obviously would say that this movie is anti-violence and anti-war but i don't think it comes down on saying one side or the other was worse I think it just like accurately depicts that militias on both sides had very little regard for human rights. If I can speak to that really quickly. Yeah. Because I was really critical of the last two movies for I didn't think having a perspective on the violence they were showing. Uh-huh. And this movie, to me, like, you're right, doesn't take a side in the war. But the perspective is Denny's perspective that the war is dumb, right? That the war is horrible and awful and stupid. Yeah, Murdering anyone for their religion, specifically in this movie, but just like murdering anyone is like a ridiculous, stupid, dumb thing to do. Yes. And for me, that that was crystal clear in the scene with the girl, the bus scene where Mm -hmm. they kill the little girl, which is sort of like almost like a 10 minute long, like sequence with a bunch of sort of highs and lows in terms of that's probably the closest thing to an actual action sequence we've seen him stage so far Mm. yeah and so to me like that is something i loved and i think denny was kind of aware of that too is that he is not at the heart of this conflict but he has something to say about it which is that it shouldn't happen (laughs) yeah I also think it's interesting, like, I think this tackles the nonlinear storytelling in the best way that he's done it so far. And this is the Mm. first one of his movies that even though it felt nonlinear, I felt like all of them were going to eventually connect to a final conclusion, Mm -hmm. where in some of the other ones, it just feels like pieces that are going pell-mell. I felt like the chapter titles helped me have some faith in that. Yeah. The the fact that he was compartmentalizing his story a little bit and saying, this is about this, this is about that, this is about that. I, I think this was an extraordinary film. Yeah, that's what me I too. Got. I've got a little bit of behind the scenes info on it. We've covered a good amount of it. But like I said, this was based on a play by Wajdi Muawad. He was born in Lebanon and his parents were from there. They left one year into the Civil War when Wajdi was eight. 
and he grew up in Montreal. So the playwright sort of has that very intimate connection to the story here. But it is also based on, as Emmett was saying, the life of Suha Bekera. Sorry about my pronunciation throughout this whole series. Who tried to assassinate a general, was kept in prison for 10 years. And uh, Wajdi worked with Suha directly in writing the play. Um, so this play comes out in 2003. Denny sees it in 2004 in the middle of his 10-year-long sabbatical away from filmmaking. He says that the play is a masterpiece and he wants to make it as a silent film. <laughs> Which I, I thought was pretty interesting. That's, That's his take for like a long time. And what he's trying to sell the playwright on is like, there's no dialogue at all. You're taking a play, which is just dialogue and doing it with no dialogue <laughs> and seeing if he can tell this story. And then eventually he sort of gave up on that. And he wrote a few scenes to get the playwright's permission to work on it. And then once he had that permission, he wrote it slowly over five years while he was in his sabbatical and while he was making Polytechnic before mm. this. Wow. Yeah, and then the only other thing I've got is that the the opening of this with the child soldier getting his head shaved is soundtracked by the Radiohead song, You mm. and Whose Army. Denny said that that was his attempt to like explain that this was a Westerner's view of this conflict rather mm -hmm. than sort of like an inward view, obviously not in some ways from the characters, but specifically from him himself that like he was not a Lebanese Iranian filmmaker making this movie. He was like a window into it from uh -huh. a Western view. Well, and the kids, when they go back to try and uncover the history, sort of have that, even though they look kind of like the people they're talking to, their dress, their haircuts, all that, like they, you know, they, they stick out, you know, and they need translators, you know, they, they don't speak the language either. Yeah. And they don't seem to have been raised, immersed in that culture no. in any sort of way. No, because Jean doesn't have any Arabic at all to speak of, right? She's carrying around a phrase book, right? She's, yeah. she's carrying mm -hmm. around this, this little Berlitz translator book. Yeah. She can say like, hello. All right. <laughs> you doing MVPs? Yeah, I think we're to MVP here. Okay. So Charles, we'll start with you. I would. Who would we say is off the table? Probably the mother. I'd say the mother and the twins are off the table for him. Okay. Okay. So other than the mother and the twins, who's your fave? I mean, the easy the easy play is the notary, who I thought was great. Mm. And I and I was thinking about this while I was watching it. I, the funny thing is, except for the notary, there's almost no other character who's on screen for more than a scene, right? I mean, it's yeah. it's such mm -hmm. a it's such a journey, such a little episodic, like we went to here and then we went to here and then we went to here. I thought about the grandmother from the beginning because I thought she mm. was really strong. But I think I'm going to go with the Christian warlord from the end. Uh, I thought the Christian, I thought the warlord at the end was really, you think warlord and you're going to get ravening lunatic. But he was this just sort of old, kind of sad, quiet, powerful guy. Um, and I thought that scene worked really well. Mm. I mean, I, I think there are a bunch of really good five-minute performances. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to go with the guy. To, I can't. I didn't write his name down. because Shem, I, I Thank you. Thank right? you. Shemsuddin, mm. yeah. That's my man. I mean, I'll say I don't think the acting misses in this whole movie. Like, I don't think anyone gives in a performance that's less than entirely convincing yeah. throughout yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Emmett, who's your MVP? I mean, yeah, everybody in this kills it. So there, there was one person that when he came on, I said, this is 
my MVP unless something drastically changes. This was like halfway through the movie. It's the old guy that she talks to in the schoolhouse mm. who like starts to unravel. She's like the first guy who like is gives her some information. Once he realizes who she is, he's like willing to tell her. Because at first he's like, no, no, I'm not going to talk to you. And then he like tells her the whole story. And he just seemed so real. I believed he was that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Totally. How about you, MVP? I liked a lot of them. I also thought about the Canadian notary, who I want to mention, uh, used to be a game show host in Canada (laughs) for a long time, which I think tracks for me. (laughs) But my MVP is Notary Madad. It is the notary mm-hmm. in the foreign country who is sort yeah. of their man there. Mm-hmm. I think he's really good. I think it's also just like so exciting when we finally get to him because it's like when we get they more now notaries. Have... Now we have <laughs> yes. two notaries on screen. <laughs> How many true. notaries can you have in a movie? <laughs> the answer is two. Yeah, we talk a lot about representation in film and finally some good notary representation right. <laughs> in these movies. <laughs> But when we get to him, it's like the present day plot is like really getting somewhere now. Mm-hmm. And you've watched the twin sister sort of just like walk from place to place and try and figure things out. And it's like now they have someone who knows what's going on and like can help them. And he's very charming. There's like a fun scene too where he has to pretend to be um, the brother's taxi driver and like pass off that he doesn't know what's going on to like work their way into the local community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's my MVP. I liked him a lot. Never mess with a notary. They're, they're multi-talented people. And apparently there's a whole notary There's a whole notary network. They all know each other all That's over right. the world. That's right. <laughs> all right, let's end with a little quiz. Okay. Okay. We're going to play Bums the Word. So this movie, Incendies, is on a lot of lists of the best movies with plot twists. Okay. Of all time. Okay. Which I knew before this, I did not know anything at all about what happened. But just when I had searched for the trailer, a bunch of videos popped up that were like 30 best movies with plot twists. Okay. <laughs> and Incendies was one of them. So today we're going to uh, see who can guess seven movies I've got here that are all featured on the best plot twists of all time. I, and I'll say these are all well-known movies with big twists that I thought were fair. They're not all sort of the ones that spring to mind when you okay. think. Is Mulan Plot on there? twist movie. Is what? Mulan. No. She, she's a girl the whole time. It's, it's, a, it's a huge <laughs> twist. It's a... <laughs> Wait. But y'all, there's this movie that you won't believe. It's about bugs, but they're talking. No way. <laughs> No way. That's the plot twist. Is Empire Strikes Back on there? It's not one of the seven I picked, but it was on every list. Okay. Okay. Um, But it's not one of these seven. Movie number one. This is a film from 1999. It is adapted from a novel. It is sort of the breakthrough of of a director who's kind of similar to Denny in that he's very much like dark adult thriller very well known and beloved is it the sixth sense it is not 99 based on based on a novel uh starring two big leading men of the time uh the two main characters are both men and they're like very popular actors is this shawshank redemption no 
this movie is kind of controversial because of the tone it takes with its subject matter. Oh, no, it's not that one. This is sort of a case where the book that it's adapting is much more clearly... Oh, this is Fight Club. This is Fight Club. (laughs) That's right. God, how is Fight Club 22 years old? Isn't that crazy? Ugh. Yeah, directed by David Fincher with Brad Pitt and Edward Norton. Okay, oh wow, I, I did not intend this. Movie number two is also from 1999. This is also a breakthrough movie for a director... Although this is like a much more controversial sort of up and down director. Is this The Sixth Sense? This is The Sixth Sense. <laughs> okay, there we go. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like we're narrowing in. <laughs> yeah, those are the two, um, the two big ones. I feel like there was some sort of plot twist thing in the air there. Because you've got those two. You've got Usual Suspects, like Seven right around then. Seven. Oh, I was yeah. thinking about Seven, but I saw that in New York. That was 96. Movie number three is from 2017. It is a part of a very popular series. Maybe the most popular series of the moment. It's kind of actually a part of two series and is a big deal in terms of them like coming together for the first time. Oh, okay. That wait. might be... Is that the twist? No. So that, that might be a poor way to phrase that. Like, Don't get hung up on that. Is this Rogue One? This is not Rogue One. This is the other big Disney franchise. I think it's either Guardians 2 or Avengers Endgame, whichever one brings in, or Avengers Infinity War, whichever brings in the Guardians into the It's neither of those, but it is an MCU movie. A twist. The twist in this movie, much like the one we watched, has to do with the way the main characters are related to each other. Is it Black Panther? Uh, it's a big summer blockbuster. I mean, I guess MCU sort of that, predates that. Um, this is a New York movie. This is very much a movie about... Oh, this, is this the Iron Man about who... Ki- Winter Soldier. About Winter Soldier killing the Iron Man's parents? No. Okay. <laughs> See, I'm down with the movies that the young people enjoy. <laughs> this is the most popular superhero in the world. For, like, the last 20 years. This is, like, the superhero who way more than anyone else. I think, like, number two is Batman, and this superhero is number one by, like... Spider-Man? It's It's... a Spider-Man movie. Oh, is it the Spider-Verse? Spider-Man Spider-Verse? No, it's neither of the two. (laughs) Is it it Spider-Man The Incredible Journey Far From Home? Return to Home? Uh... (laughs) No. Someone's got to give me the real title here. Spider-Man Homecoming? That's correct. Okay. What's What's the twist? That Mary Jane is in that movie? No, that's a late-in-the-game twist. The twist it's talking about is that, uh, like, two-thirds of the way through, you find out that the bad guy, the vulture, spoilers for Spider-Man Homecoming, Uh, um, that the bad guy is the father of Spider-Man's girlfriend, which is just something you haven't known up until that point. That's not a twist. It is. It's a huge twist. Isn't that the one where Buster Keaton turns out to have really been the one from Birdman and flies in on an atomic vulture to kill Spider-Man? Yeah, you've gotten it exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah, except it's Harold Lloyd. Nobody can ever remember which one switch. (laughs) Uh, Movie number four is from 2019. It is another foreign language film. Also, like Incendies, sort of the major American breakthrough of... 
this foreign director. Is it Parasite? It is Parasite. Oh, uh, well played. Okay, number five, we've got three more. The score right now is Emmett three, Charles one, but uh, still, still anyone's game here. Okay. This movie is from 2006. It is directed by a superhero director who, between his superhero movies, is doing other sort of like more adult genre films. And it has two big superhero stars of the time as the leading men in this movie who are sort of in a competition of sorts. Oh. Oh, I got... Is this the, the prestige. prestige? We're going to have to call that one a draw. Yeah, we're going to have to... Yeah, points for both on that. Yeah, I will give a point for both because that was equal timing from where I was sitting. It is The Prestige. It's a great movie. It is Batman versus Wolverine with magic? What are you, <laughs> That's are you right, with Michael Caine. <laughs> um, movie number six. This is a... 2013 film it is adapted from a classic story although it takes a lot of liberties this i'm trying to think of what i can say that will not is immediately this the give it brothers grim or no is it in like the fairy tale world it's adapted from a fairy tale this is a family movie is it mirror mirror Mm-hmm. or uh maleficent you're getting closer it's not maleficent what was the snow white one uh these are sometimes on in the background in my house. They, Snow White they... and the Huntsman? It's not. It's an animated movie. Oh. It's an animated movie. The twist in this movie is sort of what you expect from genre conventions of this type of movie. Oh, is it Tangled? No, but you're on the right path here. Or Frozen. It's Frozen. Okay. Is it Frozen? 2013? All right. 2013. Throw Good some Lord. spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. My chances of getting out of this life without seeing Frozen many times are pretty slim. And the longer <laughs> I put off the first time I see it, the fresher it'll be the last time I see it. That's that's fair. Emmett's approach towards movie viewing as a youth was foundational in this attitude. <laughs> <laughs> this is I mean Wade knows, and any listener, any regular listener of the pod will know that my criteria for movies is would I watch it again right now and on repeat for the rest of my life, or would I never watch that again? Right. And it's one or the other. <laughs> yes. It's the two categories. Yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> when, when, when Emmett was about seven, I asked his mom if I, it would be okay with her if I showed him Star Wars for the first time. And he said, why don't you wait just another year or two? I said, well, I think he's old enough. She said, no, he's old enough. I just don't want to talk about nothing but Star Wars yet. I just want to put <laughs> off that phase of my life a little while longer. Because it's going to be 10 years at least. Yes, and he's going to have starts. details. The boy is going to be a detail-oriented kid. The other day people were talking about, like, what is the movie you've seen the most in your life? And everyone was talking about ones they've seen, like, four or five times as an adult. Oh, my I was God. Like, Nothing can compare to what I watched as a kid. Like, yeah, it probably is Toy Story 2 that I just watched 800 times as a kid, you know, or something along those lines. Probably Jurassic Park for me. Probably got to be Star Wars. Or, uh, you know what? Caddyshack and Strange Brew might be up there just Mm. based on weekends during high school when my buddies Mm. and I would hang out. We were happy and deeply not cool (laughs) and totally okay with that. (laughs) Okay, the last film, the last film we've got here. This is a 1960 horror film from a very famous director. I got it. 
Uh huh. Is this Psycho? It's Psycho. Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. It's so great. <laughs> have you guys seen Psycho? I haven't. Oh my wait! It's I want great. to. We talked at one point about doing every Hitchcock movie, which I think is like sixty. Doing a year of Hitchcock, you'd have to do three films a day. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't I don't really want to do that. Yeah, no. Because, like, I know there's a lot of good stuff, but there's also just probably a lot of... Oh, no, he was he was churning stuff out. Yeah, he did, like, one a year and in silent film era. Mm-hmm. Like, he did a ton of silent films and a ton of talkies that were both successful. Yeah. One thing I realized about Hitchcock when I was in grad school, I uh, saw a screening of North by the Northwest on a big projector. And Hitchcock works so much better big. So if you're going to watch Hitchcock, get a projector and get a sheet and hang it on the wall and throw it up big. This has never happened before, but it's a tie because you tied on one of them. Yeah. So congratulations to both. Even honors on both sides. Awesome. All right. Charles, any final thoughts about Incendies? I appreciate that you guys got me to watch this movie. I, I, it's not a movie I would have settled down for. Um, it's certainly not one I would have looked up myself, but I'm glad to have seen it. Um, and I know we've been like, man, this movie was a downer, but it, it really, wait, as you said, it, it gives you something for the work it puts you through. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I really am glad to have seen it. Emmett? I would agree. And I also, I was going to say earlier, I think it's really interesting to see a movie set in the Middle East that's not from an American military perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, something that you don't really get in American films hardly ever. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. Should watch it. Wade, how about you? I agree. I really don't think I have anything else to add other than that. Like, yeah, if you think <laughs> that you can handle this, then watch it. Because like, it's, it's brutal and it, puts you through it but i think it's incredible i think it's worth it and i'm really excited to see i guess this is this is when he starts moves to america and like starts doing the english language films i just wonder where he goes from here yeah you gotta think that if this came out in america like whoever played the mother would have gotten the oscar like this Mm -hmm. thing would have gotten so much more attention yep because it's incredible yep glenn close (laughs) (laughs) glenn close is the mom yeah probably (laughs) Probably Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, right. <laughs> Toby Maguire uh, is the kids. <laughs> oh, God. oh man. Well, Charles, thanks so much for being here. Is there anything you'd like to plug anywhere the people can find you if they want to? I yeah, I'm on Facebook because I'm older than you guys. I I don't have much of a social media presence. Um, I'm working on a I'm That's I'm in fine. early days of work on a musical project, but I'll have to plug that later on. Ooh. Yeah, nothing nothing's on paper yet. I'm doing a lot of sort of cogitating about it. But I hope that'll be something I start getting ink on paper before too long. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, next week we're going to be back. Actually, next week we're going to be back talking about Candyman. Oh, wow. The new Candyman movie. We're going back to our Jordan Peele series that was written by Jordan Peele, directed by Nia DaCosta. So I think that comes out on Thursday night, and we'll be back on Tuesday talking about it. So Oh, wow. Uh, if you feel comfortable going out to a theater and seeing it, then uh, we'll be there shortly after to talk about it. Right on. And in 48 weeks, we'll be back to talk about Jordan Peele's Nope. Okay. Continuing the countdown. It'll be one week after you get to Dune, finally, because you can't watch it till Wade's finished the book. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. That would okay. be a real, a real well, motivator. Listen, I've really enjoyed it so far. Well, that's good. It has not been difficult to read, per se, 
you're you're reading all seven, right? In the spirit of this show, you're gonna read every you're gonna read <laughs> the, the entire thing in order. Uh, um, Charles, I've read all six that Frank Herbert actually wrote. Have you really? My brother yeah. made it halfway through the third or fourth one and put it down with a sort of stunned look on his face that told me everything I needed to know, I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Charles. All right, guys. Thanks so guys. much. Bye. Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcasts. It is created and produced by Emma Temple and me, Wade Lawrence Holloman. I also edit and mix the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week.